Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about the insect apocalypse, brown tail moth caterpillar rash, plantain visualization, mind medicine, and my take on flower essences. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I have learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. heard of this insect apocalypse? I recently overheard someone saying that they had recently heard that about 80% of the world's insect population has is no more or has declined. And this made me do my own little research online and uh, come to find out there's a thing called the insect apocalypse, which is of course debatable, but um, there has been some research that is coming out that is saying that insect populations are declining uh, somewhere between one to two percent on average every year. And at this rate, um, there's a potential within 100 years that the insect population will be nearly extinct, potentially, which could cause huge ecological disastrous effects because the insects have played so many important roles within ecosystems, including uh, food for bats and birds and spiders and then so on up the chain. Um, that they help to aerate the soil, pollinate the um, plants, and uh, get rid of dead carcasses, etc., etc. Our world would be vastly different without insects, and our agriculture would also be vastly different. 
maybe you've heard of this theory, the windshield theory. There's some sort of windshield theory. I remember hearing this many years ago, but I remember as a child that, you know, you adjust your windshield after driving through the roads. Of course, I grew up in rural Vermont, so this might have been just a Vermont thing, though I don't think it is. But the windshields would just be covered with dead insects. Just from going down the roads, you constantly be spraying and the with windshield wiper fluid. But now, compare that to today and driving down the road, there's pretty much no insect death on the windshields. So this, I remember hearing that this whole event or observation cued some scientists into really looking at the insect populations. Now, granted, it's very hard to determine insect populations because there's so many insects and so many types of species of insects um, within each type of insect. So I think I read something recently that there's more species of ladybugs alone than there are species of mammals. So it would be very hard to actually quantify the insect extinction as it happens. But it is thought that the insecticides that are used, especially in agriculture, play a large role as well as climate change and um, ecological destruction. There are lots of different reasons combined that are causing this. And I think that it is at this point well known that we are in a period of mass extinction that has begun. And for me, just hearing about this insect thing, it almost feels like it's a canary in a coal mine, so to speak. But it seems like some insects that I wouldn't mind going extinct are just ramping up more and more, especially here in Maine. One of those being the brown tail moth and the brown tail moth, their caterpillars. And then, of course, our lovely ticks that carry Lyme disease and other diseases. I have noticed a lot less mosquitoes and black flies and biting insects this year. Um, but mosquitoes, I mean, black flies, they're not fun, let's face it. But because of these ticks and but brown tail moth caterpillars, I have noticed in my landscaping clients, like throughout the island, that I would say at least 80% of them this year more than ever have had um, pesticide treat, uh, insecticide treatments sprayed on their properties for both ticks and mosquitoes and also for the moths. And it just, it makes me wonder, and I know that there have been large springs for mosquitoes up and down roadsides in other regions of the country and cities. And I just feel like because of our fear or desire to not be uncomfortable from bug bites and, um, or, you know, threats of crazy rashes and diseases that we are 
really spraying way more insecticides than we need to be in our environment, which is going to be drastically affecting our insect populations. And that just carries down to all the populations. That's my personal opinion. I just personally have noticed this summer, especially a lot less insects and a lot more insecticide sprayings in just everyday, you know, homes, not even in agriculture. And it, I find it concerning. However, the brown tail moth, I don't know if you experience this where you live. I know I have listeners from all over the country and the world that tune in and I want to thank you all for tuning in. Um, I'm grateful and honored. And but right now, especially uh, in the county where I live, we have a huge explosion of brown tail moths and their caterpillars. And their caterpillars have these hairs on them that they release when they molt and they may even molt several times within June, the month of June as they prepare to pupate. And the hairs, or if you touch the caterpillars, or if a caterpillar falls out of a tree onto you, because they nest in trees, um, oak trees and apple trees, and trees related to them specifically, because they tend to leaf out, begin leafing out right when the caterpillars begin to emerge from their overwintered nests, that they can cause a really, really terrible skin irritation and rash from some poisons that are on the hairs and the hairs can actually penetrate into the skin and the rash can last, um, you know, up to a week and with, you know, the hairs can be found in leaf litter for even after pupation and the hairs can also travel on the wind. So it's very concerning for a lot of people. A lot of people right now, June is really the month that it tends to be an issue. And being a landscaper, you know, I am definitely exposed and gardener. I am exposed to the caterpillars and it used to be avoidable, but now it's just comes with the territory. It's really you can't avoid the properties where the caterpillars are because they're basically all over. So I have found um, that I have had the rash and that my husband has had uh, even much more serious rash from the caterpillars. And man, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know I love plantain. And I find that plantain is pretty much the best option that I've come up with for helping to ease the rash. So what I've done in the past is, I mean, plantain basically is just great for any sort of itchy, irritated skin. Red, itchy skin is kind of classic plantain skin needed. The plantain is needed for that skin. Uh, any sort of bug bite, bee sting, that burning, uh, itchy irritation. And that's exactly how the caterpillar rash feels. Extreme kind of burning and itchy irritation with hives and swelling and even blistering. 
the best thing if you immediately start feeling a rash is to find some plantain. It's really easy to find. It grows all around yards, edges of driveways, parking lots, uh, walking trails, and it's very easy to spot. There are no poisonous lookalikes. It's so it's Plantago is the genus and you can find either Plantago major or Plantago lanceolata in the area where I live. And the leaf, uh, it's also called ribwort because the leaves have these thick veins that run, um, longitudinally along the leaf, kind of the long way along the leaf. And they're often, uh, five of these kind of veins that run up and down the leaf and they the the leaves are round and they just kind of are in a basal rosette on the ground what i've done recently for my husband who found a caterpillar actually on his neck yesterday and today he now has a huge rash all on his neck and shoulder and running down beginning his arm and down his side Um, I went out and harvested a bunch of plantain leaves. I usually just pick one or two leaves from each plant um, right in our driveway. And I put those in a blender with some water to make a a slurry or a, a little paste. And then I took some clay powder, some that you would maybe use for facials. And I mixed that in to make, um, just so that it would, um, make a little bit more pasty and then I used a um, like a marinated a marinating brush a kitchen brush uh, that we use for marinating meats or whatever brushing on marinades and I brushed it on his shoulder and his arm and his neck and the great thing about working with herbs with my husband is he's not necessarily a believer of herbs um, you know, as as we've been in relationship, he's become a little bit more like, okay, I, I see, I get it. But I know that if he says it's working, that it definitely is helping because he's more cynical and is going to, if anything, think that it's not working. So placebo is not an issue with him, I guess is what I'm <laughs> getting at. But yeah, at first when I brushed it on, he said it still, you know, burned and irritated maybe even a little bit more than it did before I brushed it on. But then as he let it just slowly dry, he said that it really was starting to ease the itch and the irritation. And it was starting to um, kind of the the clay was starting to dry onto the skin. And the idea is that we want this drawing effect from the plantain and the clay that's going to help to draw these poisons out of the skin and possibly even the hairs out of the skin. I mean, it's been said plantain is strong enough to even, and drawing enough uh, to be able to even draw splinters out of the skin. Um, so that's that's the concept. And he did try some plantain saw that he had on hand Uh, earlier in the day and it was not helping at all and I kind of think of like these oily salves as more penetrating and pushing 
um, things into the skin, which is in this sense, we really want to draw things out of the skin. So this drying, and that's why I think, you know, a lot of people put maybe rubbing alcohol or even witch hazel or um, on the rash to help to ease it and cool it down. Um, so it seemed that the more the more this poultice dried on him, the better it felt. And then he was going to wipe it off um, with a witch hazel washcloth and to once it dried and then and then he came up to say that it was feeling better, um, which was great, and that he was going to reapply before going to bed. So he was getting some relief from it, which is great. I recently had uh, the caterpillar rash on my belly. Somehow the hairs, I was digging in the dirt on my knees, planting these shrubs, and I was just kind of, was kind of, there were the really big holes and I was just kind of shoveling the dirt in with my arms and there must have been hairs in the dirt it was near some apple trees and somehow I just got covered in dirt and hairs and they got into my shirt I don't know how anyway somehow I got the rash all across my belly uh, last week and I remember waking up in one morning and just having this like burning and really irritated, itchy feeling. And I was half asleep and half awake. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm too tired to deal with it now, but I don't want to start itching it. So I just lay there and visualized applying a plantain poultice to my belly. And I, I went through the motions and I applied it. And in my mind, I felt the soothing nature of the plantain and it totally relieved just that act of the visualization totally relieved the rash, the itching and irritation to a point where I drastically noticed it as I woke up um, that the rash did, wasn't bothering me at all. And then throughout the day, all I had to do as soon as I started feeling the rash begin to start irritating me, I just immediately thought plantain. And if just sometimes even just the word in my mind plantain, and the itching and irritation would stop. Um, and then if that wasn't enough, then I would just start to visualize and feel a plantain poultice on my skin. And that was enough. And this is to me, really strong medicine. This is mind medicine. This is great because I have had in my life such a strong relationship with plantain and have worked with it so much and that I know how it feels and my body has this understanding of it and memory of it and connection to it that I can call upon its healing properties without actually having to utilize the actual plant material, but still get amazing effects. And this is powerful. And as you develop plant allies or plants that you have connected with repeatedly over and over again, I really do believe that our mind is able to remember. And actually, when I say remember, it's like put together 
and restore the experience of previous times of working with an herb to a point where you don't actually necessarily even need to work with the herb given certain circumstances. And I found this with other herbs. I've been able to do this with motherwort as well, like in situations of anxiousness um, or anxiety, the beginning of anxiety, where I've in the past I have used um, motherwort tincture to help calm the start of uh, an anxiety attack. And now all I really need to do is if I start to feel that anxiousness, I just can conjure motherwort and imagine motherwort and feel motherwort in my body. And I'm able to use that mind medicine to help to ease me in the moment and to get the same effect as if I were actually ingesting the herb itself. Really, really powerful things. Another aspect that I'd like to say about any sort of skin reaction, irritation, inflammation reaction to insect bites or brown tail moth rashes is I think it's really important to already have low inflammation in your body so that you don't, so that when you respond with inflammation, it's going to be a milder form of inflammation. Um, then if you already have a high state of inflammation, just as a natural baseline based on diet or uh, spicy food, like if you really like to eat a lot of hot spicy food, or even if you eat a lot of black pepper uh, in your food, I find that the baseline inflammation is a lot higher in the body. And therefore, once you have bug bites or bee stings or any sort of inflammatory, you know, allergies, some sort of inflammatory reaction, you're already starting from a very high inflammatory state. And so then your inflammation reaction to these allergens or irritants is going to be a lot more drastic than if you have a very low baseline level of inflammation, then you know, your reaction to the rashes or to the caterpillar rash or to mosquito bites will, will be milder in general. And I find that as a difference between myself and my husband, he loves spicy food and, you know, tends to run really hot anyway. Um, and he reacts really intensely to mosquito bites, bug bites, and, to this, to this brown tail moth rash. And for myself, you know, even my mat, my rash was a lot more mild. And I really think that I had like the hairs were like kind of got into my waistline of my pants and had gotten really irritated, but the rash never got crazy out of hand. And then I was able to control it relatively easily just with my mind. And same with mosquito bites. I don't react to mosquito bites or black fly bites. It'll be very, very minor. Um, but with him, he just, you know, he gets major inflammatory reactions to all bites, but he eats tons of spicy food. So if that sounds like you, see what happens if you stop eating spicy food, stop eating black pepper, 
and see what changes happen in your baseline inflammation. I think that you will notice drastic changes and you'll also be able to taste your food better in the long run. Going back to this mind medicine, it makes me think about flower essences. So I want to get into that and talk to you a little bit about some thoughts that I have on flower essences, which might be controversial, but I'm going to put it out there anyway, so stay tuned. Essences are basically energy medicine um, where the, the concept is, you know, a flower is placed in a bowl of a clear crystal bowl um, of water and just floated on top of the water and placed in the sunlight for an hour or two. And that is holds the the concept is that the the energy or the essence the unchanging nature of the flower is then imbued the electricity the energy imprint is imbued into the water and then that can be that mother tincture of flower essence um can be diluted into a dosage bottle. So it's usually just a few drops of that mother flower essence is put into a bottle of, say, brandy so that it's preserved, or I think it, you know, half and half or whatever. And then that dosage bottle, people will maybe take one or two drops and put it in a glass of water and drink it. So ultimately, there's actually no actual plant chemistry in the flower essence. The idea is that it is just the energy of the plant. And, you know, there's a huge array of ways that people find flower essences to be helpful. But basically, it's any sort of emotional, mental um, healing that can be useful or, um, you know, world peace kind of, kind of stuff, both within the mind and externally. And a lot of people have, you know, either you can make up what that flower means to you and what you see and how you think that that flower would affect or how it relates to humans, um, or, it's kind of what is generally written about the, you know, there's the Bach flower essences and Edward Bach is who originally designed the flower essence concept. Um, so that's something to look into. I don't want to get too deep into the history of flower essences that we don't really have the time for that, but, uh, things that you can look into. And then FES is another big flower essence, company. But right now, flower essences are huge and people are selling them like crazy. 
And I actually have a problem with that. I, and I know a lot of people say it's not only psychosomatic, it's actually very physical, but I really think that it is mind medicine. It is psychosomatic. And that, you know, if we were really capturing the essence of flowers, if we think about what a flower is to the plant, okay, not to humans, like we don't want to anthropomorphize necessarily what the flower is, which I think is what a lot of flower essences do, uh, or what people do when they make flower essences, but a flower to a plant is its sexual reproductive organ, right? That is, the flower is designed to attract pollinators or to be de um, developed for optimal wind carrying of pollen. And, but the flower, the whole concept of the flower is to reproduce, and so if we really want to think about what the energy and what the electricity that that flower is putting out there, it is all about sex. Hubba hubba, come here, like, let's get it on. Let's make babies. That's what those flowers are all about in the world of the plant. And it's beautiful. And it's very wild and sexual if you really get into it and really observe what's going on with flowers in the plant world. But to think that these flowers actually, you know, mean certain things to, on a physical plane, on an energetic plane, specifically to humans, I think that's how we perceive them, you know, and that's fine. But I think that the best way to work with flower essences is as a tool to access our own mind medicine. And it's such a beautiful tool because let's face it, like plants are beautiful and they are magical. And if we can work with plants to enhance our emotional state, our energetic state, our state of our mind, then that is wonderful. But I think that it's most important, what's most important in that aspect of healing with the plants is connection and relationship with the plant. So I don't think that, you know, going to a store or going online and going to an herbalist and buying a bottle of a flower essence that someone else made with their own intention in mind and giving it and paying them money for it and then taking it home and then taking a drop and thinking that, you know, your whole world is going to shift because of that. Um, it gives a lot of power to the, takes power away from you and it gives it to the person who is selling you a product. And I want the power to stay with you and with the plants. I don't want the power to be in the product and the buying of a product, unless that's what it takes for you to believe in the power of the medicine, which sometimes, and I think in today's consumer world, we are able to think, okay, if I'm going to buy a product, then it's going to work 
from me. And like, that's a huge part of the placebo effect. But for me, like a flower essence, the way that it's optimally going to work for someone is if you are able to go and connect with a specific plant in your yard, ask that plant um, or tell the plant, like, this is my issue. This, you know, I'm deeply grieving the loss of a loved one, say, and I really need support and loving kindness and a way that I can ingest that and have something physical to help me work with something so ethereal. And in working with the plant and the process of identifying the flower, maybe it's rose right now is totally rose season and, you know, rose and humans and the heart and love and it's all so enmeshed already in symbolism. Um, and then making this, going through the process of making your own flower essence, like there's a lot of healing in that unto itself. And then having already related well with that plant and then ingesting that flower essence, because you have now imbued it with your own intention and your own magic and the magic of that specific plant and the magic of the relationship that you have formed with that plant. That is where the healing comes in. Just like very similar to how I was working with plantain for my rash in that I wasn't even working with the physical plant, but I was working with my connection with that plant, my memory of that plant, what that plant means to me. And it had profound and drastic effects without actually any of the physical chemical constituents at that point helping me. But I have a problem with people, first of all, claiming that they know what a flower, flower essence is and means to all people, because how can we? I mean, that is total anthropomorphizing. So intention is huge, right? And there has been um, a lot of work in the past um, with intention forming water. the There's actually been double-blind tests of effects of distant intention on water crystal formation. But, and even prior to that, um, have you heard of Emoto and the hidden messages of water? Uh, Masaro Emoto, who wrote the book, The Hidden Messages in Water. I first heard of that in the, from the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? So you can check those out. But the whole concept is if you put an intention, he used a word, but to write the word, you needed intention. So say you said peace and you wrote that word and taped it onto a bottle of water. But as you were writing that word, you were thinking peace and putting that intention into the water and then maybe hate into another bottle and then he would freeze the water and look at the water crystals under a microscope and the drastic changes and differences in the water crystals based on the intention um, is amazing so if you haven't already checked any of that out definitely check it out it's very available online 
So even if you don't even have a flower essence, but you have a bottle of water and you really feel like you need some emotional healing with a specific intention, if you take that bottle of water that you're going to be drinking throughout the day and you put that intention consciously into that water, you will change the energetics of that water, the shape of those water crystals. And then when you ingest that, it will have effects on you. And so, and it, and then this, and then as I was doing more research on this, just to see, I mean, obviously these, his theories have been challenged and debunked as well, but there was this double blind test where they treated, um, water with intention to affect the ice crystals formed. And they used 2000 people in Tokyo and that fought, focused positive intentions toward water samples located inside an electromagnetically shielded room in um, California. So I guess these are people in Tokyo and they're focusing their intention on water in California. Um, And then there are also somehow there was control water that the people didn't know where it was. And then they analyzed the results and they had a hundred different independent judges And the results basically indicated that the crystals from the treated water were given higher scores for aesthetic appeal than those from the control water, lending to support the hypothesis. So I'm sure there's still lots of work and theories out there on this, but to think that water can change so easily by intention over distance even, over drastic distances, then... How are we going to keep, how does your flower essence not change? Like, how do you actually capture the flower imprint energy into the water and then keep it so that it doesn't change as it changes hands, as it sits on a store shelf, as it travels through the postal, as different people touch and handle that bottle? Lots of, how does that not change? I just don't get it. Um, or, you know, I've, I would go into health food stores or herbal apothecaries and in, on the same shelf in the same cabinet, they would be selling flower essences and essential oils and wow, what drastic ends of the spectrum of intensities of components and constituents and plant medicine, although they often are used in the same realm of healing. Um, but how does that essential oil not change the energetics of the flower essence that's sitting in the same cabinet? Like to me, that just seems, you know, like it would so easily be changed. Maybe a flower essence practitioner would have other thoughts on that, but something to consider for sure. But if you are working with your own flower essence, your own intention and using the plant as a mechanism to trigger your own healing within and your own mind medicine and your own energetic medicine, then that is where the magic happens. Not in a bottle that you buy that someone else has set intention into and says that, you know, this bottle is going to cure this aspect of your mind. It's very disempowering. And I want us to be empowered. And I want us to 
connect with the plants and not with bottles of water. Unless it's water that you are setting your own intention into. There are some thoughts for you on, uh, yeah, insects, mind medicine, plantain, flower essences, and I hope you found it interesting. I hope you found it thought-provoking. I hope I didn't offend you, Um, and I hope you keep listening (laughs) to future episodes. Thank you so much, and if you found this uh, podcast interesting, if you would like to rate and review it, I would greatly appreciate it. I would like to reach a broader audience, and when if you rate and review and share the podcast, that will help more people have access to this. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, on my website, all with the tag of Solidago Herb School. Solidago is the genus name for goldenrod. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and most of all, have fun with herbs. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.